Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, a Minnesota real estate update, a closer look at a valuable new resource for Hispanic Minnesotans, and the Vikings QB Kirk Cousins vaccination controversy. But first, as the school year approaches and COVID cases continue to spike statewide, parents, students, and teachers are wondering what kind of year it's going to be. I spoke with Department of Education Commissioner Heather Mueller to get an update. Well, the first thing we want to be able to communicate is the exact same thing that we communicated when the pandemic started. That is that the safety, health, and wellness of our students, staff, and families is always our top priority. And so we are going to um, really look at ways that we are going to be able to continue to partner with our colleagues at the Minnesota Department of Health to make sure that we are aware of everything that is transpiring uh, as it pertains to the Delta variant and its possible impacts on schools. Um, And we know that we are continuing to also partner with our school leaders, our superintendents, charter school leaders and school board members, as well as educators to really uh, talk about what options they have available to them, the recommendations that are coming through the CDC and our Minnesota Department of Health colleagues about what we can do as a strong recommendation for being proactive in preventing the spread of of COVID-19 and the Delta variant as we move students back into schools. I know that this is kind of an ever-changing situation as we get more and more cases of the Delta variant being reported here in Minnesota. So uh, you mentioned working with the Department of Health and and some of the leadership there. Um, Any new developments that are are significant as we head into the school year that, that we know of in terms of mask mandates and that sort of thing for students? Well, one of the things that we know is that our Department of Health colleagues, you know, utilize the CDC's strong recommendations to really base their strong recommendations for our K-12 schools. And so with that, we know that we also have places and parts ready to help to provide support for our school leaders and school board members as they make decisions about what they would like to do with as it pertains to things like masking, uh, physical distancing, uh, quarantining, and really uh, giving them the, the strong recommendations and guidance that align with the science coming out of the CDC, but are also helping them to support them as they're making those decisions. We know that because the governor's um, executive uh, emergency powers and the executive orders no longer exist, that what we can provide is support and strong recommendations, but schools leaders and school boards will be need to making decisions about what's best for their school community. We've got state officials and officials around the country talking about trying to increase awareness about vaccinations and get more folks vaccinated. I know that that can be a little bit tricky when we're talking about kids of certain ages. Um, Where do you stand in terms of the awareness campaign and getting as many students who are eligible as possible vaccinated before we get to the school year? Well, I think that we know that a couple of things are important. One is that our students who are under the age of 12 cannot be vaccinated because there is not a vaccination or a vaccine that exists for them at this point in time. 
We also know that students who are the age of 12 and older and our adults who are engaging with our students, whether that be in their schools or out of school time or activities do have access. Um, and we also know that there are some who are not able to take the vaccine even if they want to because they may have medical conditions that limit them doing so. And so what we want to raise is the awareness that these are opportunities for our students to continue to be in school, to also protect themselves as well as their families and those around them who cannot yet get the vaccine. Um, and we know that it is a choice that our students and families can make, um, but continuing to raise that awareness of not only the impact on self, but the impact on others. I've spoken personally with teachers and students. I, I have two students myself who really are, are hoping more than anything that they can return to a so-called normal school year. How likely is that going to be? Do we know? Well, I, I'm in the boat right there with you, right? <laughs> and and with those teachers, like yeah, most people know, I, I have a husband who is a, a seventh grade math teacher. I have two uh, students, one's now going to be a, a junior in high school and one is going off to, to college. And they want right a very normal school year, and that's what I'd like to have for them as well. And so um, I think that what we know is that, that being proactive and taking the measures that are recommended by the CDC are some of the very best ways for us to move closest to having um, a, a typical school year experience. And we know that um, being able to support our school leaders as they're making the decisions and recommendations for their school communities is also really important. It's not going to be an easy position to be in. Um, we know that there are people who feel very strongly uh, one way and people who feel very strongly in, in another and some who sit in that space that's in the middle. Uh, but we know that our school leaders are really um, working with their school communities to make the very best decisions that they can for their students and their families and their staff members. Um, and we're hopeful that the more proactive that we are, the more uh, typical the school year is. Commissioner, I want to give you an opportunity to speak directly with those students throughout Minnesota that maybe found the last year and a half to be difficult, rough, uh, very challenging. Uh, they're heading into another school year that presents a lot of unknowns. What is your message to students? Do you, do you have some hope to offer those kids? Uh, I, I hope that I do. Um, what I would like to say to our uh, students is that we value you and we know that this has been incredibly difficult and uh, you all have deserved to have school years that are memorable and typical in the way that we've talked about that and we also know that your safety and health and wellness continues to be our top priority um, we want you to be in our schools we know that you are some of the most resilient human beings on the planet and that you have taught us a lot in this process as adults, not only in your uh, grace for being able to be flexible and adapt to very uh, changing circumstances, but your willingness to uh, help to support your school community and your peers by making decisions that are um, and accepting decisions that are in the, the best interest of of um, but not only you, but also your your school uh, partners. And so uh, we are thankful that you have been consistently um, graceful in your acceptance of where we are in a pandemic. Uh, you have taught us all a lot as adults, and we know that we've asked more of you than than a lot of other people. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful that, that you are going to be the people who are leading us in this next generation. Thank you to my guest, Minnesota Department of Education Commissioner Heather Mueller. Minnesota Matters will return after this.
Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. Throughout the state, Minnesota electric co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. Considering an online pharmacy? Explore BeSafeRx to find useful information and resources to help you purchase medicines safely online. A safe online pharmacy requires a doctor's prescription, has an address in the United States, has a licensed pharmacist, and is licensed by a state pharmacy board. It's best to stay away from online pharmacies that don't meet these criteria. Discover more helpful tips and resources at BeSafeRx. Go to fda.gov slash BeSafeRx. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The market for home sales in Minnesota continues to be a hot one, according to the latest figures released by Minnesota Realtors. The membership organization supporting all 22,000 realtors in the state, Tasha Radel, has more. The housing market is on fire across Minnesota. Today we're going to take a road trip and hear from a handful of realtors from across the state to get a better idea of what's happening in your neck of the woods. Joining me first is T.J. Simon, president of Minnesota Realtors. T.J., can you kind of give us an overall, I guess, picture of what we're seeing across the state? Across the state, housing has been defined by three things during the first half of 2021. The lack of inventory, the continued growth to the number of sales month over month, and escalating home pricing. Nothing really stays on the market very long. Medium sales prices are up 12% over last year, and the medium sales price has reached $325,000 in the month of June. In April, the second quarter began with increasing numbers on all fronts. Closed sales up double digits. Medium home price surpassed the $300,000 mark for the first time. New listings were up 20% over last year as people recognize it's a seller's market. We have historical low supply of 1.1 months worth. Seems interesting that more sellers are not entering the market. But as we all know, sellers become buyers. So it's difficult to sell if you don't know where you're going. I recently worked with some buyers that finally got their offer accepted and they had been looking for a year and a half living in their parents' basement uh, since their house had sold. So exciting for them to be moving on to their next chapter in life. And here with an update from Central Minnesota's Jason Miller, a St. Cloud Realtor. The big story in and around St. Cloud and throughout Central Minnesota is reflective of what's happening across the state. The record high demand, low inventory, and rising prices. The year started off strong with closed sales up by nearly 25% over last year. But as we move through spring and into the summer, new listings shrank. As buyers scrambled for properties, supply thinned to barely a month. In June, new listings bounced back, up 12% from last year. But it had little to no impact on historically low inventory. And that's the story in central Minnesota as we head into the fall. An inventory crunch and a continued seller's market. Okay, gang, let's head south. Joining me now is Tracy Fogelson, a Rochester area realtor. After a slow February and March, our market resurged in our second quarter, giving strong sales in April, May, and June. 
With our spring thaw, our market also thawed, showing closed sales up double digits in both May and June. While our buyers were frustrated with the lack of inventory, our sellers were able to see multiple offers, with most of those offers coming in well above the listed price. Also in our second quarter, our medium sales price hit an all-time historic high of $272,000. All right, well, fasten your seatbelts. Now we take a jaunt to the North Shore, and here with the latest is Len Sarvella, a Duluth realtor. Buyers were out in forests near Lake Superior and the Arrowhead region of northeastern Minnesota during the first half of 2021, but there simply were not enough homes for sale. Inventory diminished drastically in the first quarter. As the weather warmed up in the second quarter, so did the traffic from buyers. There were slightly more homes available, but they went fast. Sellers loved what they were seeing. Many were getting more than their asking price, and by May and June, it took less than two months to sell. And we're back on the road. Let's head to South Central Minnesota, where I caught up with Lori Cottingham, a Mankato area realtor. Despite having a short supply of new home listings, Mankato and the South Central region produced closed sales in the double digits by midpoint of this year. In fact, in May, home sales were up more than 18% over last year. Competition for properties in Blue Earth County has pushed the median price higher every month. And in fact, by June, it was at $270,000. Inventory is still an issue, so sellers will continue to get what they want. Multiple offers that are well over asking price. Well, folks, that's where our road trip ends. For more information on the housing market in your area, you can head to mnrealtor.com. Again, that's mnrealtor.com. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The state's Hispanic community has a valuable resource that's using research and firsthand experience to solve problems. MNN's J.W. Cox tells us more about the group HACER. Scott, the Spanish word itself simply means do. And for Executive Director Rodolfo Gutierrez, the mission of the group, full name, Hispanic Advocacy and Community Empowerment through Research, is to connect with Hispanic communities to find out just what they want to do most. It is community-based participatory research model where uh, we not only uh, come to the communities and learn what are, what are their programs, but also help them in building capacity in the sense that they are going to be part of the research questioning, and also to the design and development of the projects that we are going to be conducting. So the idea is to create information for the communities in order for them to really learn how to use that information and advocate for themselves, uh, bringing uh, effective solutions to their problems. Day-to-day, Gutierrez says their work takes many different forms. We work in so many different ways to approach to the community. That, that is uh, from our own uh, network, we do have a lot of interaction with uh, organizations who are working with uh, the communities uh, in the places where they are. So they are so many times knocking our doors, calling us and telling us we do have this problem, how we do better solve it. So that goes from, I don't know, football, football illness or 
uh, some sort something related to housing access or things like that, and then what we all together create the protocols and look for funding. We usually go for funding to foundations, and uh, but we also have contracts with other organizations, uh, federal, uh, state, and uh, local, more local city organizations. We work with uh, Central Campesino, uh, an organization based in uh, Owatonna, and with the support of uh, Clearway, Minnesota, and uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Minnesota. And uh, we established some sort of uh, program first through the identification of how to do it, of a, a smoking cessation among uh, uh, agricultural workers, farm workers. And uh, it was fantastic because we did have the entire collaboration of uh, the community, Latino community in, in Owatonna. And also uh, we had uh, open doors to go and uh, reach people out in uh, Wasika and all the surrounding areas uh, who were working in the in the farm sector. Gutierrez says the people behind the scenes at HACER help them to excel at their mission. The diversity we do have at HACER also uh, a representation of what is the diversity of our communities. Uh, we do have some more, so much more um, kind of uh, opening whenever we approach the communities because they see all our staff as uh, part of those communities as well. Uh, and uh, that definitely helped us out, even in developing the programs or projects or protocols or uh, proposals, because uh, we are part of the community. We are going to serve. Therefore, we understand what is uh, the very best approach. And uh, even the, the, the jargon we are going to be using when we work with them is useful for us to create these uh, projects. And that's how it helps a lot, because... Uh, being part of the community and being members of the uh, ACER team uh, helps us um, being identified as part of those communities as well. The Latino community is widely diverse, helps a lot having this diversity with us. Everything Gutierrez and his co-workers do stems from a pride in the Hispanic community and what they contribute to our state, along with an eye towards continuing that vital role as part of life in Minnesota for years to come. That Latino community in Minnesota is vibrant, it's young, it's entrepreneurial, and it is really uh, uh, committed with the places they are living in for making them better. But also, this same uh, community is uh, diverse, is behind in so many uh, ways uh, in uh, access to health uh, care, access to education, access to housing because the system doesn't recognize them as part of this uh, uh, community and uh, in general, more larger community, uh, and their needs are not clearly identified yet. So it's, uh, uh, the Latino community itself is kind of uh, rolling the boat against the, cor- the current, the water current, but doing it very convinced that things can be better for everyone. For many places like uh, Worthington City and uh, the entire uh, Novos County, the Latino community is the sustain of the local economy. I said it's coming up more obvious in so many other places in the state. Even though we are just 5.3% of the entire population, the Latino community uh, is the promise for the future because as being a young uh, population, 
generations that are now in, in, in elementary school or high school are going to be the professionals we need to serve us, the new nurses, the new doctors, the new lawyers we need, and we need to support that. For more information on Hacer, visit them at hacer-mn.org. Scott, back to you. Thank you, JW. We'll be back with more Minnesota Matters after this. Did you know that more lives are lost to lung cancer each year than breast, colorectal, and prostate cancers combined? Lung cancer will claim more than 135,000 lives this year. But new treatments have improved survival for many with the disease and offer new hope for many more. So does lung cancer screening with low-dose chest CT. The American Cancer Society and most major professional organizations recommend that adults ages 55 and older with a long history of smoking, even if they have quit, should talk with their doctor to learn more about lung cancer screening. Lung cancer screening saves lives by detecting lung cancer early when it's more successfully treated. So, ask your doctor if lung cancer screening is right for you. And if you smoke, ask your doctor to help you quit. Visit the National Lung Cancer Roundtable website at nlcrt.org. That's nlcrt.org. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Minnesota Vikings quarterback Kirk Cousins found himself in the middle of some controversy over the past week after being put on the NFL's COVID list and missing five days and four practices. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm has more. Cousins tried to clarify the situation when he came back to practice on Thursday. I've had six negative tests since I was last with Kellen. Don't have any symptoms, so I don't have COVID. I've been feeling good, so very grateful for that. You know, last time I was in a room with Kellen was, whatever, six days ago. I've come to learn since I've been at home that the tracers we wear actually showed I was, I was not a close contact, as I understand being a close contact, which is within a certain number of feet. The challenge was the meeting room we met in was deemed to be too small for us to have have been in a room together, even if we were significantly apart from each other. So we've since moved to a different meeting room, and as I I understand it, had we met in a larger room, I would not have missed practice because I was not a close contact as deemed by actually being in contact. So it was disappointing to miss practice. In my entire college and pro career, I have not missed four practices. So to miss four practices in one week, you know, and not have COVID was frustrating, disappointing. It's presumed Cousins has chosen to not get a vaccination shot, but he does not want to talk about it. I think the vaccination decision is a private, very private health matter for me, and I'm going to keep it as such. Um, uh, I do believe that as a leader of the team, it's very important uh, to follow the protocols to avoid this close contact because that is... That is what it's going to come down to is did you have a close contact? And so I'm going to be vigilant about avoiding a close contact. I've even thought about should I just set up literally plexiglass around where I sit so that this could never happen again? Um, I've thought about it because I'm going to do whatever it takes. So um, we're going to avoid this close contact thing. And um, and I uh, look forward to uh, you know making sure I'm playing for every game this year. Cousins was asked if it just might be easier to get the shot. You know, I'm, I'm at peace with uh, with where I'm at, and um, I'll, I'll follow the protocols vigilantly. Cousins says it was hard sitting out those four days of practice. Well, it was very similar to uh, OTAs in 2020. Part of training camp in 2020 was spent virtual at home in the evenings. So uh, it's become a new normal. So it was very familiar from that standpoint. Part of our OTAs this spring was, was virtual. 
So you've learned what you got to do to still stay focused. And then obviously on my own, you know, with recovery, it gave me a chance to get in my hyperbaric chamber and spend some time recovering in other ways, do some brain training and do some tissue work. And so, uh, you know, I'm going to maximize every hour I have, whether I'm at the facility or at home. Cousin says he thinks he will not get the virus because he will abide by NFL protocols. I'm very aware of, uh, you know, what the protocols are, what the consequences are. You know, and these protocols are a fluid situation as so much of this COVID period of time has been. We've already, we got an email yesterday that basically said, you know, we're looking at changing the protocols. So there, there's, there's very much a moving target. It's hard to say right now in early August what they will be by the end of this month or come October, come December. It's it just such a fluid situation. Cousin says he believes he will not get the illness. Well, the protocols work. Mass work, social distancing works. And, um, you know, the 2020 season proved that. So now that he's back and off the COVID list, what's next if he's not going to take the vaccination? You know, now we, we look forward um, to the degree that, you know, you test positive for the virus, whether vaccinated or unvaccinated, you can't play in a game. You can't play in a game with COVID regardless of your vaccination status. So the key will be not being a close contact. That will be the focus, and um, we have to be very vigilant to make sure that does not happen, which is why moving to a larger meeting room uh, is, is what's so important. And as I said to Coach Zimmer on the phone last night, I said, we, we can meet in the indoor, we can meet outside. And I said, if it means meeting outside under a goalpost in January, if that's what it takes to get to the playoffs and be in playoff games and win playoff games, and that's where we're going to meet. So um, we're going to avoid this close contact thing with everything we possibly can do. I was not aware of the meeting room size being an issue. Otherwise, I would have spoken up and said, we obviously can't meet here. Um, and so I'm, I'm glad we've gotten that fixed and grateful that we have a facility where there are multiple options of where to meet. Head coach Mike Zimmer early in the week was not pleased with the number of players not vaccinated on the roster. I've talked to the team about it, you know, uh, about some of the things going on. Um, our guys have been pretty good about it, really. You know, I'm probably the most vocal one of all of them, but, uh, you know, I just feel like, you know, we're going to have guys miss games, you know. It's just there's so many so many cases that are going on right now that you know, we're going to have some guys miss games, and we got to be prepared for it. Zimmer admits he's surprised more of his players aren't getting the shot. You know, going through all the things that you had to do last year, masks and you know, protocol and travel, and you can't leave for a day, and you can't go out see your family, you know, all the things. Um, you can't go to dinner when you're on the road. you got to wear masks on a plane, all that stuff that uh, was just difficult. And uh, I just don't understand. I just don't understand that I think we could put this thing in, to bed if we'd all do this, but... It is what it is. Zimmer says if they end up losing a game because of this, it won't be good. I probably won't be happy we lost the game first, and then I probably won't be happy that we we could have prevented this. But like I said, you know, these guys, uh, some of them just won't do it. And I shouldn't say it, but some of the things they read are just whew, out there. Cousins said on Thursday things were good with the coach and him. We had a tremendous conversation last night, great dialogue. And, um, you know, I'll leave my discussion with him with him. But it was a very, very positive discussion. Came away feeling great. Zimmer says he's not sure if this will impact longtime players' ability to lead. I think maybe, you know, if some leaders miss games because of it and we end up losing games because of it, I think that might. Guys that are leaders of your team and they don't play because, you know, and we lose the game, that might. 
Cousin says, bottom line, he doesn't see this impacting team chemistry. Tight-knit group, a lot of respect for one another. I don't think it'll be an issue. Only time will tell. Scott, back to you. Thank you, Mike. That is going to do it for us for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.